0: So when I'm not creating my own podcast and writing my own newsletters and books, I spend a fair amount of time digging into health-related content that others are producing. And like many of you, I frequently listen to Dr. Peter Itia's The Drive podcast, and I recently finished his book, Outlive, The Science and Art of Longevity. The thing I like most about Atia is his push for a medicine 3.0 revolution, specifically that the medical system should be a true healthcare system rather than a sick care system, and that it should be geared to keeping us healthy rather than treating us once we're on the verge of disease or we actually have disease. And I'm not sure that I will live long enough to see that kind of a revolution in the healthcare system. Um, But that doesn't mean that I can't be proactive in my own way and start practicing that kind of self-care. There are many online services that provide that kind of uh, medical care where you can get your DNA analyzed and your blood work analyzed and they take your mental health and your lifestyle and your goals and they boil it all down and offer you advice to help you be your best, healthiest self And so that your biological age will be younger per se than your chronological age as time goes by. So with all that in mind, I was psyched to have a chance to sit down with this week's guest, four-time CrossFit Games athlete and physician, Dr. Julie Foucher, who practices this kind of precision medicine with wild health. And she has her own forward-thinking podcast called Pursuing Health. We talk all about the potential benefits of precision medicine for perimenopause and postmenopause, along with much, much more. This conversation kind of goes far and wide. We talk fasting, we talk inflammation, developing a healthy mindset and i really appreciate julie's openness and interest in serving women through all phases of life she is on the younger side of things herself but she is keenly interested in that forward thinking medicine 3.0 vision for women of her generation and our generation so um really grateful for the conversation and i hope that you enjoy it as much as i did and to be clear and i've thought about this a lot i know precision medicine is not accessible to everyone. And there is most definitely a pay-to-play element of menopause care, or hell, any care, uh, especially here in the U.S. And this is something that I do think about a lot, that women with monetary means have the ability to buy and try all kinds of things. And that's one of the reasons that though we certainly create products that cost money here because I have to eat and keep a roof over my head and pay the vet bills and college tuition. And there are many people behind the scenes of this podcast who do amazing, amazing work. And we all need to make a living. We are also very sure and certain that we keep producing content that is free and as much of that content that is free as possible. The podcast, my weekly newsletter, the Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group, All of those resources are open for everyone and largely because we really do want people, as many people, as many women, to have access to that information as possible. I also do think that some of these services are worth saving up for. I've done some precision medicine type of care myself, and I did find it worth the investment to get a full portrait of my health and fitness and to get pretty much a guidebook worth of advice on what to do to make and keep myself as healthy as I can be. Because in the long run, I believe like I'm betting on it saving me money. Disease is expensive. Doctors' visits are expensive. Medications, co-pays, they all add up. And that's just the cold, hard cash expenses. There's also the time and energy spent managing conditions. And for me personally, as I crossed into my mid-50s recently, it just felt like a solid investment. All that said, my hope is that these services, these types of medicine 3.0 healthcare services become more accessible to more women, more people, but I'm talking to women here, because I think we all deserve the best of personalized care. All right, before we get into it, As always, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Beisty Menopause. Sign up for my free weekly menopause blog at beistymenopause.com. You can learn more about all of these topics and have one-on-one time with experts at our Level Up Menopause membership as well. And thanks, as always, for the continued great reviews and five-star ratings. I appreciate them, and they really do help the show. All right. Super quick thanks to the Amino company, AminoCo, for their continued support of the show. Their Perform product has become my best early morning swim companion. I grab a bottle on the way to the lake or to the pool, and it sets me up for success with key electrolytes, branch chain and other amino acids along with a small hit of caffeine to give me that extra mental clarity and performance boost and I also think it tastes good. So thank you Aminoco for your continued support of the podcast. All right, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Dafosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tafosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to LagoonSleep.com and take the two-minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. All right. I am really stoked to have you here, Julie. Um, I'm a fan of your work. I'm a fan of your thoughtfulness and, and what you bring to the CrossFit space and other spaces. So thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Celine. I'm a big fan of yours also. So I'm excited <laughs> for this conversation. <laughs> well, speaking of,
0: you know, I, we, we had talked before and I sent you these questions. And then I heard on one of my runs this amazing podcast that you did on wild health, which I'll link in the show notes on fasting for women. And this is a conversation I think is so important. And I would love to just open this one with that because man, there's, there's so many misconceptions yet. And I would love to hear you talk a bit about, you know, fasting and women and how we are more sensitive to it. I personally, like when I tried it, my cortisol got worse, my fasting blood sugar got worse. Like all these things that were supposed to get better got worse. So if you could address that a little bit, I'd love it.
1: I would love to. It's such a important topic, a hot topic. And I really enjoyed that that discussion. I um, did that podcast with Dr. Aaron Donaldson, who's another wild health physician. And we love getting on and just talking about women's anything related to women. So it was really fun to do. And I think you know it's something that I see all the time because we work with a population of women in wild health who I would say tend towards um, women who are already into fitness, who are already striving for health um, and have been for much of their lives. And fasting is a really powerful tool. You know we've we've there's a lot of research on it, specifically in men, not a lot in women yet but the research there has shown some really incredible benefits when it comes to things like metabolic health and cancer prevention and longevity. And so of course, whenever there's a new health trend, um, we get some data in men and it's like, well, let's, everybody should do it and the more the better. Right. And so I think, you know, I've, of course I've tried it in various aspects. I think a lot of people, you know, have tried it to see how, how it functions for them, but we have to think about fasting as like anything it is a tool right and it is a hormetic stressor just like exercise is a hormetic stressor which just means it is it has this bell-shaped curve where there's a sweet spot where you put this stressor on your body and your body adapts in a favorable way but if you don't do enough you don't get that adaptation and if you do too much it can have a negative impact so things like you know if you have too much exercise without enough recovery you get overtraining and same thing with with fasting, you know, you have to look at what is your overall stress load on your body or what we call your allostatic load. What are all of the stressors that you're being exposed to? And that could be, you know, your training volume, how much you're training and your intensity of training. It could be your nutrition. Um, it could be, are you sleep, not sleeping enough? That could be a stressor. It could be of course, psychological stressors, what's going on in life. Are you Taking care of you know sick parents or sick kids. Are you having financial stress, life stress, even just you know day to day traffic and email and notifications are stressors. Um, And then you have environmental stressors too. So all of us are exposed to toxins in our environment. Obviously, we can do our best to minimize those, but living in the world today, we're exposed to those as well. And so you have to look at infections. Those are another another source of stress. You have to look at what's the overall allostatic load or the stress load on your body. And where does fasting fit into that, right? If you already have a huge stress load and your body is struggling to keep up, adding in even a small amount of fasting could push you over the edge and, and contribute to more symptoms or more, you know, dysfunction in your stress response, um, versus, you know, it might be some tools, um, you know, in, in certain amounts, maybe not every day, but periodically to help be a little bit of that hormetic stressor and drive some adaptation, Um, or it might be something you use more frequently if you're someone who, you know, is facing a lot of metabolic disease and, you know, your overall, it fits into that picture of overall stressors and stress load. And then for women specifically, we have to think about the impact of our hormones and when is the right time to be doing fasting. Yeah. And
0: when you, when you talk about women in perimenopause or menopause who are also training, exercising, um, you know, I, 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 th- I see women running into low energy availability. I just see more problems than benefits with it. I'm wondering what your experience is there.
1: I have a very similar experience with the women that I work with. So i I tend to see the pattern of women who are coming to me around the time of perimenopause who are, you know, type A, hard driving, hard workers their entire lives. Right, so they're competing in their sport, training hard, they have families, they have jobs. And, you know, maybe for long periods of time have been through different diet fads and diet, um, trends where maybe they've been really low carb or restricting calories at certain points in their lives. And so then you throw in maybe a, you know, a life stressor here and there, you throw in perimetopause, And now you add fasting into the mix and that can often be just too much for the body to handle. So I, I often see women when they're in that somewhere in that mix and we're starting to see an overall negative impact where we, where we see some increase in stress hormones or dysfunction and in the stress axis, the HPA axis. And oftentimes that can present with a variety of different symptoms from, you know, GI symptoms to autoimmune disease, um, you know, sleep problems, all kinds of things.
0: And so many of them are coming into it wanting to, wanting to lose weight, right? Like that's a lot of times, like what they're, what they're trying to manage. And um, I'm not sure that it has the end result that they're looking for when you, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's when I think it's really hard because we have these perceptions of, it's so hard to break those perceptions of, okay, what do we need to do to lose weight? You know, for so many years we've been receiving these messages of, okay, I need to restrict calories restrict carbs. And now we've got fasting as another tool. Let's throw that in. And so now you've got a situation where you're not, you know, you're not supporting your training level with enough calories or enough carbohydrates, and you're adding the the stressor of fasting. Now you have what's called HP axis dysfunction, or even to the point of, like you said, low energy availability or, um, relative energy deficiency syndrome, red S, and that can be very hard to recover from and can cause the opposite effect of what you're going for. So you're trying to lose weight and shift body composition and have good performance in your workouts, but instead now you're actually hanging on to excess body fat. It's becoming very difficult to lose that. And you just don't feel good, right? And your performance starts to go down. And and this is where it becomes really hard and requires a really good therapeutic relationship, a lot of education, a lot of trust in order to start digging out of that hole, because the solution is really the thing that you're most afraid of, right? It's adding back in calories. It's maybe reducing your exercise volume. It's trying to regain that balance of allostatic load of You know stressors and recovery, so that your body feels safe and that it can start to let go of that extra weight and heal from some of those symptoms.
0: And I really enjoyed, which you know, it hadn't even occurred to me to think of it this way. And in that conversation that you had, that so many times that when people, you know, in this audience, I hear it a lot when they when they want to implement it, they they um, don't eat breakfast. They sort of like push Mm. that meal into the mm-hmm. later parts of the day. But it that's sort of like out of the circadian rhythm of what we really need, especially at this time of life, right? Because it kind of dumps our calories at the end of the day, messes up our sleep and just sets up this, you're talking about this allostatic load. That's also very stressful, right?
1: Totally. Yeah. I think that's just, it's a big cultural adjustment, right? Because typically people's biggest meal of the day now, the meal that they often get with their families or loved ones is dinner. And that's later in the day. And you know, evolutionarily, it- if you look back at at different cultures over time, often the biggest meal was in the middle of the day, um, and they're eating when the sun is up and when the sun is down, they're not eating. So, you know, if we wanted to fast according to that rhythm, that would look more like eating, waking up, and eating breakfast, and having a bigger meal in the middle of the day, and then maybe a lighter meal in the afternoon, and and having that fasting window be more in the in the evening time, um, which is sort of opposite of what a lot of us do. We tend to go all day without eating, then we're starving, and then we eat all kinds of stuff whether it's good or not good for us in the in the evening
0: yeah and it's hard to just spread out your protein
1: it is oh that's huge that's huge yeah I think that that's another thing I I see really commonly is people coming with undereating protein and regardless of whether they're fasting or not but when you're fasting and you're only eating a couple meals a day, you know, it's very easy to undereat protein. Um, and so now, you know, I think the research is very clear on, especially for women who are exercising around perimenopause, we want to get closer to a gram of protein per pound of body weight a day. That's not easy to do. It requires a lot of attention, a lot of planning. And, and so, you know, if you're only eating two meals a day, it can be very hard to meet that goal. Um, so that's where I think, you know, fasting, we may, we may look at it as how can we, if we really want to do it, how can we implement it in a way that's still allowing us to get the calories we need to get the protein that we need um and not overdoing that as a stressor
0: yeah and and sometimes it can be as simple as just like maybe just not eating a couple hours before bedtime right
1: and then you have totally yeah, yeah i think we it's funny that we have to call this fasting but for, for in our culture we do i think you know 12 hours at night is a very normal amount of time to go without eating but so many of us don't get that unless we're cognizant of it because we're busy. We, maybe we work out late. We're taking our kids to games and after-school activities. We get home at eight or nine, and then we're not, we're eating late. And then we're up early in the morning and doing it all again. And so we start eating early and we don't have that 12 hour window, but that's a very you know normal amount of time. We need our body to go into more of that rest and digest mode overnight. And if anyone's used a sleep tracker, I'm sure you've seen the pattern. If you eat a late meal, a late big meal, Oh, boy, that has a big impact on your sleep metrics on your HRV. And so that can be very enlightening. Just just having that three hour window before bedtime where you're not eating can make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, 100%. And then just quickly, because it is relevant to this audience too, before we leave fasting is, um you you had mentioned some like real contraindications for it. And one being like the hypothyroid thing, which we see a lot in the menopause mm-hmm. space, and mm-hmm. a history of eating disorders, which also, sadly, we see a lot of in this space. Yeah. So
1: those two are, are big contraindications. And, um you know, I think with hypothyroidism, you th- you could be cautious of it because it's often, you know, it's autoimmune in nature and there is some benefit to periodic fasting and autoimmune disease, but you want to be doing it with, you know, someone who's overseeing your numbers and making sure that it is benefiting you. Um, I think, and be very, be very cautious with it. I think for sure eating disorders, you, we have to be cautious with, and they're they're so prevalent and there's so many different ways that they present. Um, and so that's something, you know, to, to just, understand yourself and what your relationship is like with food. And I think this just comes back to fasting in general. What is the intention behind it, right? Is it because you're trying to shift body composition or lose weight? And if that's the case, is there a better way to achieve that goal than fasting? Um, There might be given your situation. Um, And then of course, pregnancy and breastfeeding are other two other contraindications where we don't want to be be doing fasting as well. And I think, you know, just bringing it back to, to to overall thinking about fasting in women, my general recommendations for women who are still cycling, who are before perimenopause would be very rare. Do I recommend fasting more than 12 hours? There are definitely indications to do so, but it's very rare in my mind. And that's because, you know, we have these big fluctuations in hormones month to month, and there are certain times where we're just not well suited. So you know, during the early, the follicular phase, that's, as I'm sure everybody knows the time where you can take on more stressors, right? You can do harder workouts. You can maybe incorporate some fasting and your body can handle that. But then during the luteal phase, we just don't have that same resilience. And so when women are doing fasting all month long, we can experience some problems, but incorporating it maybe periodically. And if if you're going to do it, do it during that follicular phase would be the time to do it. And then as we get to perimenopause, I think that's where you know, it's all over the map because there's a lot of, you know, we don't even have the regular hormone monthly fluctuations. It's a little bit all over the map. It's hard to predict when your body can handle it. Um, and then once we get to menopause, you know, you don't have those fluctuations. And so it can be a better time to incorporate fasting. So long as it fits into that overall allostatic load and is something that can be helpful and not necessarily harmful for you.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great wrap up. And being mindful, especially of the cortisol, because you know, in menopause, I think that you know, the, the, there's so much anxiety and stress; it's hard to manage. Yes, anyway,
1: yeah. yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so much of it is—it's hard to separate too. Sometimes our, you know, perceptions and the messages that we're hearing from, you know, the world, diet culture, all these other places, versus what's actually true for us. And so, to really trying to tune into your own body. Um, and see how you respond to different things. I think it becomes very important because we've been, you know, we've been shaped by these messages for our whole lives.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And also, you know, this audience is so unique. Like so many of the messages in the general population are just that they're in the general population where people, you know, maybe they're doing, they're walking every day a bit, or, you know, they're doing this sort of the minimum exercise recommendations and they're not actually purposely training or doing truly stressful Physical activity, you know, so those are very different populations.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, we've got both extremes, that's for sure. Yeah. And everywhere in between.
0: <laughs> for decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hebe's. Hedis designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. HEDA's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of HEDA's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions. The Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevonex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched chain amino acids, plus even more cutting edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. So let so let's pivot a little bit. You know, I've been following your sort your journey into self reflection, which I have found Mm. really interesting. You know, you've been very public about some some pretty deep internal work, you know, trying to get back in touch with yourself after what I understand you feeling pretty disconnected with yourself was as you chased achievements and what you perceive like the world wanted you to be. And menopause is a really big time. Like this midlife menopause time is an enormous time of self-reflection. And though you're not there yet, I do think the audience can benefit from hearing a bit about your journey and how you came across this and like what you've been doing to sort of find yourself, you know, in this little bit of a tunnel of confusion that you found yourself in. <laughs>
1: Yes. Oh, thank you for asking. I love talking about this. And I think, I think in life, there are so many natural points where we can pause for reflection or where life is sort of taking a different direction. And, you know, obviously, menopause is one of those. For me, I was really great. And I think for many people, the pandemic was one of those opportunities, right? It just sort of forced it upon us to. You know, our lives changed, and a lot of us took a step back to think about things. And so, the pandemic for me came at a time where I was also making a big life transition. I was graduating from residency, and this was a big time of of reflection for me that I'm really grateful for. You know, before that, my life had always been about sort of achievement and perfectionism, right? I grew up doing gymnastics, you know, oh, where boy. <laughs> it's all about perfection and. Um, school, I was always very, you know, teacher's pet, always very good in school. You know, I was the girl who was not happy with A's. I wanted A pluses and was never good enough. I was my own worst critic. And, you know, that really carried through medical school where I continued, you know, I competed in CrossFit and then residency. And, you know, I don't, I wouldn't change any of those things because I think it was all part of my path. But I think, there were a lot of things that I woke up to that I realized I had um, sort of where I had strayed from the person that I wanted to be because I was so focused on achieving, um, you know, competing in CrossFit and doing well in school that I let a lot of other things that are important in life fall to the side and they just became less important. And so number one being relationships, you know, I still, of course I had friends and I had a relationship with my family, but really if I look back at my behaviors and my actions, like nothing was more important than getting my training done and, you know, doing what I needed to do for school. So that meant just not having the same kind of deep relationships with friends and with my family. And, and that led me astray at, at certain points in life where I, you know, made big life decisions. And I didn't have that sort of, I love, I'm obsessed with Michelle Obama and she talks about her kitchen table of women who, you know, she would go to for advice and could talk about anything. And I didn't have that. And where I did, you know, where I where I did have friends who were there to speak truth to me, I couldn't really hear them or listen to them because I was so focused on my own um kind of what I thought was best, my own achievements. And so that led me astray. I think certainly falling, um, falling into the pattern of of just wanting to live the life that I thought other people expected of me. Like you do well in CrossFit, you do well in school, you think, oh, I'm gonna be a doctor, I'm gonna this is people expect me to post on social media. So I'm going to do that. And, and you instead of really asking myself, like, what did I want and what was important to me? Um, and so, you know, I think that the after the I graduated from residency during the pandemic, because of that, I had some free time and free space, which was unexpected. And that was the first time in a very long time in life that I had that. And I am so grateful for it because I think that Had I just gone right from residency into a traditional primary care job, which many people do, you know, I probably would have just gotten busy with life and continued to be on this treadmill and maybe looked up 20 or 30 years when I was in, you know, perimetopause or menopause. And maybe my kids had left the house and, and been like, wow, how did I how did I get here? But, um, you know, I'm so grateful that I had this time, you know, in my early thirties to take a step back and say, Hmm, there's some things that I want to change about life and, you know, things that influences that I want to shift. And so I did go into this really deep state of reflection. I read a lot of books. I spent a lot of time meditating. I did counseling. I, um, Did I even did a fasting retreat five days. So this is another application of fasting can be for mental clarity and sort of spiritual connection. So I did a fasting silent retreat in the woods by myself. Um, And that really started for me this sort of new direction and new journey. And in that process, you know, I I started healing a lot of relationships, just, you know, I wrote a lot of letters um, to family and friends, spending more time on relationships. I took time away from social media so I even went to the point of deleting my Instagram account which is a little crazy because uh you know you can't it's they make you when you go to delete it they say are you sure because you can't get this back wow. <laughs> and, but I just knew it was an important action for me to take to just say that this does not have control over me you know and and so I ended up deleting it and then by some miracle weeks later I got it back I you know a friend convinced me that it probably wasn't the best idea because I do have a platform and I can use that platform for, for positive. Um, But I took time away from social media. I, I really got rid of all those external influences so I could start to hear my own voice and my own truth and then make some changes in life to, to start living in accordance with that truth. And then the last several years have been just continuing on that journey. So lots of growth, lots of reflection, you know, I, for so long, I had been very emotionally I think closed off and so for me a lot of that was just like letting emotion come up and learning how to deal with it and learning what it means and you learning different tools and so it's been a wild ride but very rewarding and I couldn't be happier with where I'm where I'm going now I feel like I really know myself I know where I where I'm going um and and have I think for me most importantly I have a much stronger spiritual connection you know I'm you know a believer that there is higher power and that, you know, we're all here for a reason. And that to me has been, um, you know, something that, that I think led me down this path and is, is taking me where I'm going.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think, I think that this time, this transitional, I mean, they call it the menopause transition and, Mm -hmm. you know, they, there's many things happening in that transition, but I, I do believe that if you spend, and I don't, I don't know that everybody needs to go on a silent fasting retreat to get no, there. You know, not. I mean, I, think I, been... I always
1: tend to take things a little to the extreme. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's awesome, but but I do think like because you can reach you see you spend so much time, especially in this place, ticking boxes, right? Like, okay, have I done this, this, this? You have maybe older kids and older parents, or you know, all these things, and your life can you can really. Get to a place where you have lost yourself, you know, and you're just like, what am I about? What am I what am I doing? Like, what do I want to be on the other side of this transition? I I say that all the time because it is a real time of power where you're just like, okay, this is I'm entering the me phase of this thing, you know? And yeah.
1: yeah. And for so many women, like it's finally you're at this point where you've been so consumed with caring for everybody else for so many years, right? Whether it's your partner, your children, your parents, your family, your siblings, your community. And oftentimes it's a, a time to look up and you know, your body's changing and it's starting to tell you, hey, I need some attention too. It's time to take care of you. And that's a really beautiful thing. Um, you know, I think that the other unfortunate thing about the world that we live in for women is that the world we live in is very designed for men, right? It's designed in a way that for, you know, for us to have these consistent schedules all month long, you know, the nine to five and, you know, daycare and all these things, but, you know, there's so much power in, in the way women are designed and, you know, leaning into that, knowing that, Oh, wow, this is a natural life. Like I think men have midlife crises too um, Mm. where, you know, (laughs) They're also going through some transition, but this is a natural phase that your body goes through. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's this opportunity to step back and ask these questions again, like have gratitude for, you know, all the other prior phases of your life and then look at, okay, where am I going and who am I and, and what do I want for this next phase of my life?
0: Yeah, excellent. And I would, speaking of phases of your life, I'd like to sort of transition into where you are now. I mean, you are part of the clinical team as vice president of clinical development at Wild Health. Is that correct?
1: I don't know if I specifically have that title, but I'm mostly I'm swear I pulled patients. it from the internet. Yes. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> called old. you that. <laughs> yes, I'm seeing patients and I, I help with some of our marketing related to the CrossFit community. Okay. Um
0: we also have a very frequent guest, Dr. Carla DiGirolamo, uh works as an endocrine consultant there. What led you to Wild Health? And can you explain a bit about like what it what it is?
1: Sure. So I came to Wild Health during that transition period, um you know, after residency. It wasn't what I had originally planned. I, w- I had thought I wanted to do a direct primary care practice and use a functional medicine approach and focus especially on people who were sort of in the CrossFit or fitness community. And then I met the team from Wild Health and was really impressed with what they were doing um and wanted to be part of that mission of just reaching more people and bringing this type of care to more people and and what intrigued me most is that, you know, we're, we're doing this cutting edge care. It's a, I think it's a great balance of, you know, doing things that are evidence-based or science-based data-driven, but also being very open to, um, you know, other, other modalities and using each person as their own end of one experiment and just using them, um, you know, using this end of one experiment approach where, you know, Some, some doctors might say like, oh, well, we don't know if if acupuncture, if there's great studies for acupuncture for that specific indication, but we would say, well, let's try it, right? Like, let's see if it works for you. Let's have a metric that we're going to track to see if it's something that actually helps you. Um, And that, and that I think is a really fun and creative approach. And so what we do with patients is we start with every patient. We get a very detailed view of your labs, as well as your genetics. And we use those to help guide us to design those end of one experiments to try to get closer to optimal for you in the shortest amount of time. Um, And, you know, when I first joined, we were, we were looking at partnering with CrossFit to provide provide this care for the CrossFit community. So that was very exciting and that has evolved over the last few years. And now we're a official sponsor of the CrossFit game. So we're still very much involved in the CrossFit community. And that's been really rewarding for me because I see them as, as complementary. you know, CrossFit, I think is an incredible tool for improving health um, with, you know, the, obviously the, the fitness approach, nutrition, but also the community aspect. And so wrapping around this type of medical care, I think is very powerful.
0: Yeah. And it's. You know, Dr. Peter Atia, which I'm sure you're familiar with him and the, the Drive sure, podcast yeah. and his uh, Outlive book. But I mean, he, in his book, he calls it Medicine 3.0, which I think is an interesting way to look at it. Is that, you know, we, the first phase was maybe just understanding the body and disease, you know, and sort of that basic fundamental level. And then it was, we're sort of in 2.0, where You get sick and we do something about it, you know, Mm -hmm. but this is more like we can start seeing the like we know what leads to the sick and maybe we can do something about it. You know, it could be called preventative medicine, but um, I think it's even a little more aggressive than that. I mean, it's really optimal health wellness medicine, right?
1: Right. It's, you know, so much of our conventional healthcare system is sick care. It's waiting until it's how it's designed. It's basically monitoring you and waiting until you get sick. And then we do something. And usually that doing something involves a drug or a procedure, but I think, you know, people are, are very much now looking for a different approach where we are not only being preventative, but we're looking for root causes. And so if you come with a symptom we want to understand what's the root cause of that symptom and how can we address that instead of covering it up with a medicine that has more side effects and then maybe you need another medicine you know not to bash i think there are pharma for pharmaceuticals there are there are incredible pharmaceuticals out there that have incredible impact but we it's not everything right and so there's so much that we can do to address the root cause and that's very much the approach that we take is let's look at all the data now we we have so much data out there and I think we want to empower individuals with their own data instead of that being something the healthcare system owns. Um, so you should know your DNA. You should know all of your labs. You have these wearables that you can track your sleep and your HRV and your blood sugar. And then, you know, experiment, know what, what are the behaviors that impact you personally and impact those numbers and help you feel well and perform well um, and achieve whatever goals it are, it, it, they are that you are going for.
0: Yeah, and speaking of like peri and postmenopausal women specifically, like this is definitely a a time when you can see where a woman really should put her health at front and center, right? Because mm-hmm. the you can see lipids start to rise, and cortisol and blood sugar may be harder to manage. Mm-hmm. Do you do you work with many women in this space? Can you sort of speak a little bit about your experience with working with this demographic?
1: Sure. Yes, we work frequently with this demographic, and I think it's a great time to to you know, get a handle on your data and what's happening. I think that, you know, this is a frequent demographic that's coming to us one, because you're experiencing symptoms. Um, maybe you've had a couple nagging health, health things along the way, but you've sort of pushed through now you're experiencing different symptoms or the things that you've tried before for, for losing weight or, or gaining health just aren't working anymore. Um, it's also a time where you're maybe seeing your, um, you know parents get sick or or family members get sick and you want to prevent those conditions from happening and you you've maybe got young kids or you've got kids who are maybe going to be having their own kids soon and you want to be around to be part of their lives and so it's a great time to to start looking at all of your data and so we really dive deep we look at really comprehensive you know DNA uh, in a number of different areas we look at labs. We, our health report that we go through combines your DNA and your labs as well as your health history. And it looks at your nutrition, exercise, sleep, uh, neurobehavioral, which is mood and mindfulness. And then it looks at disease prevention. So we look at your heart disease risk and a very comprehensive approach, Alzheimer's risk, insulin resistance, inflammation, and longevity, which includes cancer risk as well. And, you know, labs that we do, we're looking at lipids and a lot of cardiovascular risk markers. We're looking at all kinds of micronutrients, methylation, um, hormone detailed, look at hormones, you know, all of your sex hormones, thyroid hormones, your stress axis, um, insulin resistance markers, inflammatory markers. And then, you know, depending on the person we w- we might want to dive deeper in other areas as well. So we may do a deeper dive on microbiome or we may do a deeper dive on hormones with things like a Dutch test, um, and or you know in, for various other reasons we might do other other uh, detailed testing,
0: and it can sound kind of overwhelming. But like you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you take all of this information and is it? I'm I'm hearing that it's a multi prong approach. So you're mm-hmm. you're making dietary recommendations or medicinal recommendations. Like is it all of mm-hmm. all of it? Yeah,
1: it's everything. So in your first, you know, when when you join, you get all of this data. You also, I think, one of the the part of the magic of our approach is that every patient works with a doctor and a health coach. So I get to meet with a patient and go through all their data with them and come up with a plan based on, you know, their labs and their medical conditions. But then they're seeing a health coach. They often, many of my patients will see their health coaches weekly. So that's about implementing this plan and, you know, problem solving and troubleshooting and feeling like, you know, I might throw a ton of information at you in the first hour, but how do we break this down and actually put it into practice? Um, and so, you know, the recommendations we, I generally, unless there's, you know, something very severe or urgent, we're going to start with a lifestyle first approach, maybe some supplements and then, you know, medications are there as needed. Um, we also work with patients who are already on medications who maybe want to come off of them. Maybe they're on medications for diabetes or hypertension. And over time, we're able to get them off those medications. So, um, you know, I, I, really look at it as, we can be complimentary. If you've got uh, a primary care doctor or an OBGYN or a specialist that you're working with, we can be really complimentary and working with them um, using both, you know, the lifestyle, you know, alternative approach, functional medicine approach, but also um, medications as needed.
0: Excellent. So as as an athlete yourself, you know, you have some unique insights into the mindset and the mental challenges that, that, that can come with that this is a time speaking of perimenopause and menopause when active and athletic women you know and myself included still sort of have to wrangle this monster sometimes where you can really struggle with identity and body image um do you do you help women at all with that facet of their lives or do you have thoughts on how women can deal with these issues that 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 don't, that don't go away. You know, they're always with you and sometimes they can really flame up and get worse at this point.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think this has been, this has been so much of my own work over these last few years as well. And it's absolutely, I think it's the core of what we do, I think, uh, or at least the core of us, um, in our health is it starts with our thoughts. Right. (laughs) And, and so much, so many of us, I think as a human, part of what we have to overcome in life is this, um, so many of us that struggle with this lack of self-worth or this negative self-talk. And that's a, you know, it's a big, like I said, it's a big monster sometimes. And so I, I work with a lot of my patients on thought work. So being able to identify, you know, when you feel, when you have those thoughts coming up, being more aware of them, and how do you process through them? Um, You know, looking at how do you, how do you create more positive a more positive environment so that you're not feeding that negative side of things. Um, and then working through, I mean, so much of this for us comes from it's deep stuff back into our childhood and how we were patterned, how our nervous systems were patterned early on. And so working through that, whether it's with a therapist, with different techniques that you can um, work on on your own, I think is so important. Um, you know, when it comes to thought work, I love, have you ever heard of Byron Katie's the work? It's four questions. Yeah. So she, um, she has these four questions and I've found this to be really helpful, you know, for myself and with patients that, that when you, when you have a negative thought come up, like maybe you're, you know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror when you're getting dressed and you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm fat. (laughs) And you, you have to, the first question you ask yourself is, is that true? Um, and maybe you say, yeah, it's true. And, And then you ask yourself, can you be 100% like absolutely sure that that's true? And you know, I guess you can, It part of it can depend on what your definition is of fat at that moment, but I've yet to come across the thought where we can be 100% absolutely sure that's true. Um, and then you ask yourself, how do I feel when I think that thought? And most of us, when we think that are going to feel pretty lousy about ourselves. Right. Um, and then you ask, how do I feel if I, if I never had that thought again, like, what if your thought was only I'm so beautiful and I love my body and my body is incredible wow, you feel really good. Right. (laughs) And so then you start to turn that thought around, um, you know, maybe instead of saying I'm fat, you say like, you know, I love my body and all that it's done for me, or I love the natural curves that I have, or, um, the way that it's, you know, birthed these children or whatever it is that, that you can turn it around and start to experience different, um, different thoughts. So we know there's very clear research on this whole field of study called psychoneuroimmunology. And it's where, you know, our thoughts, our psychology are then directly impacting our nervous system our immune system, our endocrine system. So when we have that negative thought, it sends off the same alarm bells, the same cortisol spike, the same sympathetic response as if evolutionarily we're being chased by a tiger and our body doesn't know the difference. And so then that, what does that lead to over time if we're constantly in that space? It leads to inflammation, it leads to immune system dysregulation, it leads to you know, autoimmune disease, high blood sugar, insulin resistance, GI issues, So many different things just because of our thoughts. And it's hard. It's like really, really hard to shift, right? Because we can make ourselves believe just about anything. And the forces that are pulling us to believe those negative thoughts are so strong and we've been hearing them for so long. But I can guarantee you, if you just lean into it and you start to practice some of these techniques, you will start to see the shift. And then the more you start to see the shift, the more hope you have and momentum you have that this actually works and it's possible. Um, So I would encourage everybody to, you know, to, you know, at least uh, entertain doing some of that type of thought work.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I was, you know, I was at a a women's gravel festival and I had a lot of listeners come up to me and they're all very they're very grateful you know just to have these conversations and to hear these conversations but one woman and I'm gonna really try not to cry because it was so oh. moving. Um, she said she she rides mostly with younger women and she said
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm so ashamed of my aging body sometimes I don't want to ride with them Wow. Oh. right mm. and I was just like oh and it, uh. and it was it hit me so hard at a time because I was I'm training for this triathlon and I was sw- going swimming with some of my colleagues who are quite a bit younger and I don't have the muscle tone I used to. I don't like it just doesn't look my body doesn't look the same. And I I had those feelings. I was like, I don't know if I want to go, you know, mm. so we can actually stop you from yeah doing these things that are so good for you uh, mentally and physically. It's really profound. And we grew up in a time when like fucking Cosmo magazine was like, you know, bars over people's eyes, like, look at this person, you know, like right. shaming them in, in in the pages of national magazines. Like, oh, you should never wear shorts after age, whatever. I mean, that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't go away overnight.
1: Totally. And you know, what's crazy is the way that we make these stories up in our own heads that are most likely not true. And the way that we compare, like, I think it's so natural for women to compare, right? You're saying like, oh, these women are younger, or maybe they have more muscle tone or whatever. Most likely those younger women are looking at you or this woman that you talk to and being like, wow, like she's incredible. I want to be doing this when I'm, you know, older too. And it's inspiring. But if, if she lets that thought then impact you know, her decision to enter that race or do that, then these other women don't, don't see that. And so they don't have that to look forward to, or to look up to. And I think naturally we, so just because, you know, these, these influences, they, we tend to compare ourselves and we tend to compare ourselves in a negative way, instead of appreciating how unique we all are appreciating this incredible, um, you know, the incredible parts of being a woman and all the different phases of life that we go through and knowing that it's this rising tide that lifts all boats the more that we support each other and lift each other up the better that we all are and the world i think the world needs us like the world needs women to be fully in their power and fully at their best um, because we're suffering without it you know we need that i
0: 100% agree and i i often When I'm in that space, we'll talk to myself the way I talk to my daughter, you know, Mm, where I'm like, yes, you are thinking about you way more (laughs) than anyone else is thinking about you. You know, I mean,
1: absolutely. And we get so in our heads about it. I think that's such a great technique of talking to yourself as if you're a friend or your daughter, you know, talking to yourself as if you're someone else. I used that just last week. I had just like a, a rough day where I got so in my head, I ended up going to sleep just kind of crying myself to sleep because i was so frustrated and I, my head was swarming with all those negative thoughts um and i woke up the next morning and i just wrote myself a letter as if i was writing to a friend not writing to myself and all of this incredible stuff came through it's somehow by putting taking yourself out of your own head and writing to yourself as if you're someone else, we're able to really um, pass along so much wisdom. And then it really sunk in for me and, and just made such a big difference. And I've experienced such a shift. So, you know, we're often so much better at uh, taking care of everybody, everybody else besides ourselves. So sometimes use that to your advantage and, you know, talk to yourself as if you're a friend or write yourself a letter as if you're a friend and you'll be surprised what might come out.
0: I love that. I love that. I appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom with us today. And is there anything, you know, as we wrap up that we haven't talked about or are any messages that you would like to leave our audience about taking care of themselves in this next chapter of their lives?
1: Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. Um, I just think, aside from what we've already talked about, I think there's also so much power in in being together. So, you know, obviously listening to podcasts like this is very empowering because you get so much information and you are part of this community. But so much of our pain, like you said, the thoughts that we have comes from the way that we tend to isolate ourselves and all the shame that's associated and the way that that tends to keep us in our own heads and keep us isolated. So, I would encourage you, you know, find a few women that you really trust that can be your like Michelle says, your kitchen table or your women that you travel through this phase of life through and other phases of life through um, and just, you know, reach out. It's a little bit scary to do that or be the first person to do that. But when we open up, we realize that, you know, everybody else is going through some variation of the same thing. And it's normal. And what we're seeing on the outside is usually not what's actually happening on the inside. And I think that makes the journey so much more rewarding um, and so much more fun. And we're able to help each other because- you know, each, you you know, the things that you've been through, you might be able to share and help somebody else and vice versa. And we don't feel like we're going through it. Um, so isolated. And, and I think that's just true for menopause in general for so long, it was something that was taboo and nobody talked about it. And your, your doctor doesn't really have much for you. And so it is very isolating, but let's lean into, you know, going through it together and, um, you know, empowering each other. To be at our best, I think that the best years are ahead of you. When you, I think sometimes when women are in menopause, they're thinking, they're seeing all the things that have have gone on before, and thinking, oh, it's downhill from here. But that is so not the case. I think it can be the best. I think as we get older, the best years are always ahead of us because we have so much wisdom, we have so much life experience, and um, I think we just keep getting better and better and better.
0: Well. That's our show. Come on back next week when I sit down with Dr. Nikki Kay, author of Hormones, Health, and Human Potential, a guide to understanding your hormones to optimize your health and performance. We had a brilliant discussion of health, performance, and hormones that you will not want to miss. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty.